M S W Media. Folks, I love St. Patrick's Day so much, I don't just limit it to a day. I spread it out over the entire month. Since March is the unofficial official month for Irish whiskey, I want to take a minute to speak about where it all began. History tells us that whiskey first appeared on the north coast of Ireland well over a thousand years ago. Generations of Irish men and women passed down this whiskey tradition where Irish barley and pure water sources were abundant. The first whiskey to last until today? Well, that's Bushmills. Bushmills is the world's oldest licensed whiskey distillery. Every other whiskey that you have known or tried came after Bushmills. And what makes Bushmills distinct? It's a single malt distillery in Ireland. Most people assume single malt whiskey came from Scotland, but Bushmills has been making single malt since long before it was even called single malt. And unlike Scotland, where single malt is only double distilled, Bushmills triple distills its single malt, creating one of the smoothest whiskeys in the world and Ireland's most awarded single malt whiskey. Most people have their usual, their go-to whiskey, but this St. Patrick's Month, I dare you to skip the usual and try the original. That's right, Bushmills, the original single malt. Hey, this is Tiffany Thiessen, and you're listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. Sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. I am Dan Dunn, and as the name of the show implies, it's a celebration of adult beverages. How about a fresca? Oh, uh-huh. no, no, not really. Fresca, Judge Schmales. It, it's more, again, you know, fortified beverages. Stuff that has alcohol in it. You talking to me? Well, no, I'm talking to people out in their podcast world. See, I'm playing around with my soundboard today. Hi. <laughs> I just like it. I like the soundboard. Why don't you go back to your home on Whore Island? Whoa, take it easy there. Man, all right, I'll stop playing around with it. Coming up on the show, old friend Joe Beatrice of Barrelcraft Spirits. Joe knows so much about whiskey, and we're going to get it's going to look at a whiskey 101, I think, conversation we're going to have a little bit today. Um, I did, I came across an article in Wine Enthusiast that I wanted to just touch on because I, it, it brought something up that, that I think is confusing to a lot of people. The headline of the piece is vodka brands emphasize water source, but does it matter? It's a piece by Karen Newman, who I know. And essentially what it talks about is how is water used in making vodka? And as Kara points out, there's it's used twice. The first step is when you're doing fermentation, which is when you're going to you're going to create a mash. You're going to take grain, grape, potato, and you're going to put that all in in water, and then you're going to add some heat and some yeast, and that feeds on the sugars, and that induces fermentation. 
and then that gets distilled. Basically, they, they heat it to a boiling point, vapors rise, and then those vapors are cooled and condensed into liquid form, and that's the alcohol. And then what they're going to do is they're going to remove something called the heads and the tails. These are sort of unwanted impurities. And then the remaining portion is called the heart. And they'll distill this. You know, a lot of vodkas will say they're 20 times distilled. But essentially, they're trying to get to this purity and neutrality that vodka has known for. Okay. When they're doing that, after distillation, the alcohol level could be up there around, you know, close. It's like 95%. It's high. And how do they get it down to proof to, to where they want it to be around 80 proof is they add water. They dilute it. And so as Kara points out, there's a distinction, important distinction is that the water used in fermentation isn't always the same as the water they use to dilute the spirit. And I think that the water that's being used for the dilution is the one that could most impact the flavor profile of a vodka. A lot of people in the vodka industry call it finishing the vodka. There's where you're going to see, you know, see this a lot on the labels is that it it came from a, a creek or a mountain source, mountain water source or all over the place. And it really can influence the flavor of the vodka. Again, the finishing water, the stuff that they're using for fermentation, that doesn't make a damn bit of difference on the taste of the vodka. I would recommend checking this out. It's at winemag.com and search for vodka brands or Kara Newman. But, you know, it clears some things up. And that's what we're all about. That's what I'm about. That's what Kara Newman's about. Clearly, that's about what Wine Enthusiast is about. All right. Uh, we're going to do our segment. I don't know if we did it last week. Whenever I don't do it, people give me shit. They write me. And if you want to write me, it's at the imbiber, Twitter and Instagram. Or you could send me an email, dan at whatwerdrinking.com. All right, we're doing drinks of the week. Drinks, drinks, drinks of the week. Drinks, drinks, drinks of the week. Drinks, drinks, drinks of the week. It's what we're drinking with Dan Dunn's. Drinks of the week. Jazz hands. First up, we're going down to Mexico. We're going to have, it's called Catedral de Mi Padre Mezcal. This is a new brand launched in June of 2022. It's not even a year old. It's just a baby. It's just a little baby. Uh, this brand was launched by a woman named Sydney Block and her dad, Jeff, down in Oaxaca. Neither of them is a celebrity. It's very refreshing. Those of you who follow such things know the agave spirit world has kind of been co-opted a little bit by celebs of late. So they're not famous, Sydney and Jeff, but they are passionate about mezcal and they've launched this brand. Uh, they offer six varieties of mezcal from six different master mescaleros. So they're basically contracting out different mescaleros. This is operating very much like Del Miguel, which is probably the oldest uh, to the first to be importing mezcal in the United States and one of my favorite operations. Now, uh, Catedral has four single varietal mezcals, Espadine, Mexicano, Tobola, and uh, Madre, Madre Quiche. Those are types of agave that they're using. And then, so the, the single varietal means, obviously, the name Espadine is just all Espadine, Mexicano. You get it. And then they have two blended mezcals. One is a blend of Espadine and Quiche, and the other one is Espadine and Mexicano. Just so you know, the majority of the mezcal market in the U.S. is Espadine, which is cultivated from the blue agave plant. The price of 
Katudral Mezcal's ranges from $59 to $89 a bottle. I tried the Tobola. I got to tell you, it's some seriously good Mezcal. I'm digging it. Full of flavor, character. It's one of those spirits where you can just feel the amount of love and care that went into creating it. Speaking of which, every bottle of Catedral Mezcal has a QR code on it, and you shoot that on your phone, and you can via a video with the Mescalero who made the Mezcal. It really provides a sense of, of purpose and place, and I think it's a very thoughtful value add. Not, not a lot of brands doing that. It connects you to what it is you're drinking. Now, on their webpage, they mentioned that since launching last June, Catedral has won 10 International Spirit Awards in gold and silver across all their expressions, making it, this is what it says on their site, the number one most awarded new mezcal of 2022. I can't verify this. Well, I, I guess I could if I wanted to take the time to do it. But it's a lot of work. I don't know. Are they? The, maybe. I mean, it doesn't matter. The only accolade that should matter to you, dear listener, is that they get the thumbs up right here on Drinks of the Week, and they got that. So congrats, Katudral Mescal. I like you, and I know my listeners are going to as well. Now let's stay down in Mexico for the next product on Drinks of the Week, and this is Cierto Tequila. Cierto being Spanish for true, and I truly like this one. Uh, it This is just, just began rolling out in the U.S. at the end of February. The brand's been around for a long time, but just in the U.S., a couple of weeks. It's made by the widely respected master distillers, Enrique Fonseca and Sergio Mendoza. They've been doing it for a very long time. They're very well known. They're launching in the States, Cierto is, with the, the first of its private collection. And these are four distinct agave expressions. They got a Blanco, a Reposado, an Añejo, and an extra Añejo. I tried the Reposado, which is aged primarily in French limousine oak. It's got a hints of butterscotched and cooked agave on the note. On the nose, the on the palate, though, oh boy, I, the caramel. You got a little cinnamon spice in there. Really like this thing on the rocks. It could be great in a Paloma. It's, a, it's not cheap. This private collection, it's $119 a bottle for the Reposado. The Blanco's $89, the Añejo's $169, and the Extra Añejo is $279. Steep, but good stuff, and everything's getting pricier these days. Now, again, on their website, Cierto says, over the years, 600-plus international medals and awards that make it the most awarded tequila in history. That's what they say. I can't verify it, or I guess I could, but I'm not going to. I don't know. But what I do know is on this, this Drinks of the Week, you have been cited for doing good work, Cierto. So there you have it. And finally, this isn't really a drink, but we're going to squeeze it in. So I got this Brooklyn-based confectionery called Sass, S-A-S-S, kind of a famous artisanal chocolate place. They sent me this thing they're doing, this collaboration High Vibe Mushrooms, Limitless Nootropic Bonbons. These are non-psychedelic chocolates. For those of you who don't know what nootropics are, uh, they're nutritional supplements made from an assortment of mushrooms that are they enhance brain performance and mental functions, including motivation, concentration, attention, memory. Um, uh, what was I just saying? I get that. See the joke I did there? I remember everything. Okay. 
So these limitless nootropic bonbons from SAS, they have 10 species of medicinal mushrooms that they're using in here. I'm not going to list them because who the hell knows. They have, they're expertly dosed to hit the sweet spot. There's 25 milligrams of CBD, 700 milligrams of high vibe mushrooms, limitless blend per bonbon. You get four in a package. So do the math on there. Um, I, I've been taking them and I gotta say, I think I feel sharper after I do certainly feel more relaxed, calm. It's helping me and they look good. They're pretty. They're pretty little bonbons, pretty little bonbons. I recommend them. If you're in the New York area and get them delivered locally, just hit up SAS, maybe Uber Eats it or something, DoorDash. If you want to get it shipped to you around the country, it's the sweet spot by SAS. That's a lot. The sweet spot by SAS.com. And you can order them. They're not an advertiser. They did send me the chocolate, so I'll give them that. And uh, I like them. I don't know how much they are, but you'll find out when you go. So you got the mezcal, you got the tequila, and then you got the nootropic bonbons to get you going. And that's what we did on drinks and eats, I guess we could read from the week. As always, folks, consume these products responsibly, and above all, enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. While you're still in the pink The years go by As quickly as a wink Enjoy yourself, enjoy yourself It's later than you think Stale is one of my least favorite words in the English language It's a real blah word, isn't it? Stale rhymes with fail, which nobody likes to do And kale, which nobody but weirdos really likes to eat I prefer an antonym to stale, and that's fresh, as in Fresh Victor, a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that really come in handy when you're having a little drinking sesh. See what I did there? Rhymes with fresh. Yeah. Anywho, Fresh Victor offers nine unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to tantalize any palate. I love them all, but my absolute favorites are three citrus and mint leaf, strawberry and lemon, and cactus pear and pomegranate. All of the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's nothing artificial, and the mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. And right now, Fresh Victor is offering a funky fresh deal to what we're drinking listeners. Simply go to freshvictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code FVDAN20. Fresh Victor Dan 20. FVDAN20. You get 20% off your order. Think of all the money you'll save while also becoming the envy of all the amateur mixologists in your neighborhood. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market, and that's Fresh Victor. And now, a word from one of our dream sponsors, Lowenbrow Beer, circa 1982. Used to good friends. Do you guys realize this is our fourth summer place together? Remember that old beach house we had? How about the time you two almost set the woods on fire? <laughs> okay, who's ready for a Lowenbrow? When you want the taste of a truly great American beer, tonight, let it be Lowenbrow. You know... I think we finally got this down to an art. 
let it be low and Joining me now, an old friend of the show and the founder of Barrel Craft Spirits, a man who knows he's forgotten more about whiskey than most of us will ever know. Joe Beatrice, how are you, my friend? Good, thanks. I forgot more about most things, I think. <laughs> Me and you both. <laughs> well, Joe, I want to jump right in with you, man. It's great to see you. It's first time on this year. You know, Joe comes on a few times a year, and we always love having you. A bunch of stuff going on, Joe, that I, I want to get right into it with you. Uh, first off, we got another uh, PR, uh, public relations concocted booze holiday, is just around the corner, Joe. And just so you know this, your publicist, I won't say the name, but you have a great publicist who would never use the term just around the corner. But I have to tell you, when they're pitching you things, 90% of the pitches you get mentions this thing that's coming, and it's always just around the corner. <laughs> We're talking about, in this case, International Whiskey Day. International Whiskey Day is Monday, March 27th. This is not to be confused with World Whiskey Day or National Bourbon Day, which fall in May and June, respectively. Apparently, International Whiskey Day happened was launched in 2009 at a whiskey festival in the Netherlands, and it was to celebrate the British uh, whiskey writer Michael Jackson. Now, who the hell knows what the real story is? What I want to know about you is how do you feel about these manufactured booze holidays? Joe, do they, do they actually help you move any product? Um, move, how do I feel in it? Do they move product? Um, how I feel about it is I'm sort of neutral on it. I think that's great. I don't, I'm not really sure why you need an excuse to have whiskey, but okay, I guess. Um, and in terms of moving product, um, I, you know, we will probably do some posts on it, but I don't, I don't think it makes a whole bit of difference to the greater scheme of things. All right. Well, let me let me do this then. I got. We'll play a little little game here. Um, I'm going to name a couple of upcoming booze based holidays, and you tell me on a scale of one to five how excited you are for this holiday. One being who gives a rat's ass, and five being you're probably taking the day off after the next day (laughs) off after work to recover from all the celebrating you're going to do. All righty. These are real, actual holidays observances here. Okay, May twenty third. National Drinking with Chickens Day. Not kidding. Real thing. How excited are you about National Drinking with Chickens Day? You got my attention. All right. <laughs> I mean, I that's a real day. You know, it, it is know. somebody made that one up and it, it exists. National, yeah. Are they alive or dead? I don't know. I didn't dive that deep into it. <laughs> I think that would make a difference. I mean So I, we'll give two ratings here, Joe. If they're dead on a one to five, how much? I think that that's um, um I'm moderately interested in that, but I'm really interested in the, in drinking with live chickens. I, All right, it's a, five, it's a five, five with live. Chickens. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. All Just right, because I want to know, I want to know about that one. All right, so we got um we got uh, May 28th is World Passion Fruit Martini Day. Come on, uh, that's a hard one for me to get excited about, um, but. I would say that on a on a bar menu, a martini made with passion fruit probably ranks on the low end for me, but it just is, doesn't fall into my eight. So like a my, one or a two right around there? So I give it a 1.5. Okay. We'll be, right. we'll be counting. May 30th, we got National Mint Julep Day. Oh, wait, no. National Mint Julep Day, excuse yeah. me, is June 1st. Okay. June 1st. Yeah. 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 Okay. Now, now, I would have thought that would have been during the Kentucky Derby. You would but think, national, but yeah. 
So National Men Julep Day happens after the Kentucky Derby. June 1st. Okay. I, I'm excited about that. I like mint juleps. I think that they're it's a great drink. I think I'd give that a, a four. A four. All right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're going in a different category here, but I want to see how you feel about it. June 14th, Wednesday, June 14th is World Gin Day. Yeah, I like gin. I think uh, I, I mean, I don't think I'm going to drink any more or less on that day, but I think it's exciting. I give that a four as well. Wow. You're into this. All right. June 18th is... It's a whole week. English Wine Week. Come yeah, on. I think, yeah, I think I'm, that's a one. That's a one. Me. All right. Well, we got a couple more here. We got uh, June 25th is National Limoncello Day. Are you a limoncello fan, Joe? Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, but I can't get that excited about it. Okay. I mean, we can we can stay with the four. This four is a three, four, four. Four is fine. All right. I'll give you one. I'll give you, there's two more. I'm going to try to guess your level of excitement. September 9th. Excuse me. August 30th is National Whiskey Sour Day. Now, I'm going to guess that your excitement level for National Whiskey Sour Day is at least a four. Yeah, it's a four. We'll take that. You'll take the, I'm at least a four myself. I love a good whiskey sour. And then one final one, November 17th, National Harvey Wallbanger Day. Well, let me go back to college. Um <laughs> I don't know. I I already I got I got a hangover just hearing that. So I think um, I I think I'm going to stay with the two on that one. See, that, I appreciate a, the Harvey Wallbanger. You know why? Because yeah. it was a drink that was created entirely to liquidate Galliano. That was it. They're like, how do we get? Nobody wants this. You know that everybody knows what the Galliano, but it's that bright yellow bottle and every it's in the back of every bar. And there's somebody at Galliano. How do we? How do we get rid of this stuff? And they they made up a they created a character. Do you know Harvey Wallbanger got a lot of votes in the seventy two presidential election? No, true story. Write in votes not. for like got about twenty thousand write in votes against Nixon. Pretty crazy. So all right, well now we know where you stand. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. The first guy, the first drink I ever remember having was I was a little kid. I took a cup of Galliano off the dinner table and drank it. So that was my first. Oh experience. my! How was that? It was great, but then uh, all I remember was I was running around like crazy for quite a while. But um, I will tell you something else about Galliano that I discovered. Okay. Um, driving back through West Virginia, I now know where all the bottles of Galliano are located. <laughs> oh and yeah. Every restaurant, every restaurant and every bar in West Virginia seems to have a bottle of that. I don't know why that is, but it was on the back bar everywhere I've ever stopped. It's crazy. I just read a piece in the Associated Press, Joe, that said the headline is as bourbon booms, thirst for rare brands breeds skullduggery, which is obviously a little shady dealings. And as as the proprietor of a brand that has a rabid fan base that puts out expressions of the whiskey that get gobbled up right away. I, I want to get your perspective on this. It basically talks about and, I, and you and I, I think, have talked about this before, Joe, where they game the system, and I'm. You might have heard about what happened in Oregon, where several high-ranking officials at the liquor regulating agency are under investigation, basically for tipping people off as to where they're going to be able to get pappy allocations or some of the. How do you have you encountered any issues with that? Because I mean, barrel is a very barrel bourbon. Your whiskeys are very sought after. 
where it's the deck, the deck is being stacked against the ordinary consumer. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that is, I think it is true. Um, and then, you know, from, from our perspective, um, we really, we really feel like when we're promoting something, we want to make it so that it is available to as many people as possible. It, and, and I think that creating the artificial scarcity is, um, you know, it goes on all the time, but, but we're, we're, I'm on the other side of that. I, I really would, if we're going to promote something, I want people to have access to it. So th- that's why the, you know, the idea that, that winning um, awards for a single barrel is sort of a little disingenuous, um, I think, or, you know, or intentionally promoting something that you can't, you can't get. Um, so we're, we're, that that's you know does it happen for us sure and and do we have we don't have perfect distribution so there are places that that either won't get it or can't get it or you know it's just it's it's too far in a market to get to but but our intent is to make everything as available as we possibly can. well of course on your end but i'm talking about the unscrupulous people at the at the other end the people running the liquor control boards in the states let let's go you know one of your more rare releases that you put out how many bottles is you know nebraska gonna get and there's got to be a temptation there for for these people that are running the show or somebody goes hey man i want to get my hands on that but the next shipment of barrel uh that comes out well here here we're going to slide you some money is there any way to stop it yeah i probably not i mean i think that you know the enforcement um you know you have to really like how it works is um you know, we don't really have any control. Once we sell our inventory, it's a three-tier system to a distributor. They really pretty much control where it goes. And we can make suggestions. We can have, you know, uh, a retailer could raise their hand and say, I'd really like to get this. And, you know, we have to refer them to the distributor. But but it really sort of it comes down to that. Um, and I think that uh, people profiting by by first of all, well, I guess that they would know in Oregon because they would know where it goes. But in a regular open state, I'm not sure how a regulator would really know that uh, in any way. Where but, the bottles are going to be, where they're going to be, because it really, it really does depend. You know, look, it, it's a commercial venture. Where where are the rare bottles are going to go are the places where they're going to sell, and they're going to distributors going to take care of their good customers. So, to me, it's a little bit more straightforward. I get what you're saying. But if I'm a customer at a at some high end shop here in Santa Monica, and the guy lets me know that you know there's going to be bottles, we're going to have this many bottles here, and if you you know I'll hold this back for you, that's illegal, right? I, that I don't know. You mean if somebody is in a retail store, they have a, they're holding a bottle for a customer, not selling it to the general. They don't customer? ever put it on the shelves. They they just I tell them I've got a relationship. Whenever you get that brand new barrel stuff, I want it. And that's some of what's been going on. Now, I don't know if it's technically illegal, but I would say at the very least, it's morally questionable because your other people just don't get a shot. You know, it's just once you've got the inside uh, scoop on it, regular people who love Barrow, I'm, I'm wondering if that pisses you off at all. Like, it, you know, you're only gonna, you're not going to get exposed to any new customers with that. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yes, it's upsetting. But there are things that I can get upset about and I can have an impact and control and there are others I can't. And you and can't. In this, in this case, I, you know, I'll tell you the best, the best thing I ever heard anybody do was this retailer in California. I was out there a couple years ago in Northern California. Um, and what they did with their allocation, I thought this was brilliant. They didn't do a line. They didn't do a raffle. They put it on the shelf somewhere in the store. 
They hit it. <laughs> they hit it. And obviously, I thought that was you know, one. So, so somebody in there buying, you know, a California a cab is going to see that next to it and say, "Hey, what a find!" Or it could be somebody going, "What is this? I like the label. I'm going to buy it." So it gets it in the hands of people that either don't know what it is or do know what it is, but also it makes people shop the store. I think that was a really good idea. So they're walking around and they'll find something else to buy. So I always thought that was that it's was behind a bottle. It's behind a, a handle of pop off vodka. I remember years ago I was in a store and and I saw the pop off vodka and they had a emblazoned on the bottle. It said now in an unbreakable bottle. <laughs> it really <laughs> speaks to your clientele when you're like, we you know what? The biggest problem with this, we need a bottle the people that drink pop off vodka tend to drop it a lot because <laughs> so, they tend to drink directly from the bottle and drop it. So let's make that it unbreakable. Um, right. Talk about things that piss piss me off, at least. And I want to get your before I you know got talked to you. I started looking through some articles. I always like to get your take on what's happening in in the world of whiskey and bourbon in particular. Vine Pair did a thing where they said we asked eleven bartenders, "What's the most overrated bourbon?" Now, so you know, you're not on that list, and. But it's basically then they just get quotes where they shit on these brands. And it's like, okay, 11 bartenders out of the, what, hundreds of thousands in this country uh, didn't like Maker's Mark. One of them didn't like it. So now Maker's Mark gets shit on. And Vine Pair, a lot of people do read Vine Pair. Do you, do you just not pay attention or do you get angry? Like, I I look at this, Joe, and... And again, thankfully you're not on there, but some, you know, let's, well, fuck it. It's out there. Excuse my language, but Pappy Weller's on there. Basil Hayden Blanton's. These are all good whiskeys. And then they, one arbitrary bartender that they chose to interview shits on it. And I just don't get it, man. Like, does that stuff bother you on the. It does bother me. It bothers me a lot because, you know, um, Teddy Rosa has a great, little story about critics and how you know it's easy to be a critic it's hard to make things and uh it's it's really it's really it's a nice it, it, you, you would like it uh, i'll send it to you it, it's just it's a really nice sort of statement on criticism and um what bothers me a little bit is the authority with which somebody makes a claim that isn't true or that isn't you know um it, it isn't what the product is or what the product's about and that 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 sort of rubs me the wrong way but you know we, we live in a world where you can't take on every troll or you you know you just can't um but that certainly does bother me i i don't like that but that's what people want to read i guess it is clickbait they just want to get angry at maybe that's what it is and look i guess it's I working the, i did see the article and i did click on it for that reason it, it's working for me one other thing before we get to your new the new release that you got coming out is I don't even know if this would impact you, Joe, because you're you're sourcing your the juice from various places and that's what you do and that's what you're great at is. But I'm sure you're aware the Kentucky legislature is phasing out this barrel tax, and I guess it's a really big issue in Kentucky where there's a tax on. Do you know what I'm talking about? Maybe you could be better. Yeah, the tax. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We we pay that because you pay it on whoever owns the barrels pays. Okay, so you are paying that tax. Yeah. So oh, yeah. you're in favor of it being phased out. Yeah, that's a. It, it, I think the state makes. I think Kentucky does pretty well with the bourbon industry. So I think that it would be okay for that to go away. So everybody listening, so you understand it, and Joe, correct me if I get this wrong, but 
the tax is on what you have in a barrel and and that money goes to the local municipalities. Now, before we go, oh, wait, you're taking the money away. They cut taxes in other areas that they probably should have shouldn't have cut the taxes in. And it's all pandering to the donors. But essentially, the idea is they want to get rid of this because otherwise, I think Kentucky is the only place in the country that has a tax on the barrels. Right. And so the concern is that these bourbon makers, because you can make bourbon. Everybody knows. I don't know if everybody knows this. You don't have to make bourbon in Kentucky. You have to make it in America. And the idea was that if they don't get rid of this onerous tax, some of these bourbon makers are going to leave and they're going to go somewhere. It's, and, and it's not going to be as competitive. Or maybe they don't leave, but new brands certainly are not going to go to Kentucky to start their distillery because why would they when they got to pay this tax? On the other side of the argument is, well, now Bardstown and places like this are going to lose that revenue source. But it seems to me that, I don't know, find the money somewhere else. Don't mess with my whiskey. Also, you know, realize that when you have, we have barrels stored in a lot of different states. And depending upon the state, some states are property tax that we have to pay. So, you know, this is this is just a very specific thing to Kentucky. And it's such a concentration of barrels. But, you know, we do have we we do have to pay that. We do have to insure them in every state. So there is there's a lot of revenue there's a lot of money being spent going around the different municipalities anyway. But um, from my perspective, it's a good thing is less tax. This is great, man. I love, I just love hearing your perspective on these things. And now we're going to get into your perspective on your latest. It's barrel bourbon batch 34, right? Yes. 34. 34, which I got, I tried it the other night. Just man. Oh man. So much going on, but I felt, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, Joe, but I felt like this is one of your brighter, fruitier, maybe even a little bit sweeter and not in a bad way, but this just feels like a more vibrant uh, party whiskey to me. Am I wrong on that? You know, it's, it, I, I'm the wrong person to ask because I like every single one. There is a reason that we produce it the, the, because we really like them. And, you know, and I think we've talked this a little bit, you know, I, we spend a lot of time um, when we're doing the blends for the next release of back testing it against the other ones and to make sure that we're, that we're spacing them out and doing, offering different, different types of products, different flavor profiles. This is a particularly nice and bright one. And, and maybe for the some people who don't know. Um, so we are, we're blenders and, um, and we have a very extensive, inventory of barrels that we choose from that we put together these different blends something unique and multi-layered and something that's very interesting and this is age dated um six years so um any whatever the you have to age date a, a bourbon with the the age or whiskey the age of the youngest whiskey that's in there um but this one has um there's six eight ten and 15 year old barrels in this whiskey yeah. So one of the things that really that that we do is we we use our older whiskey to create greater products rather than just putting an age statement product out there and selling the barrel. Also, because I think that, you know, they're each age of whiskey has a very different uh, characteristic. And, you know, the I tend to like a slightly younger. I tend to I think the sweet spot is between five and eight years on a bourbon. I think that when they get too old, they get they they bring a lot to the party on a blend, but on their own, it's not my my personal preference. So this was this project was one that took a very long time. We we um, we I think we started blending this probably in last uh, May or June, 
And then we put we put together the, the a blend of the six, eight, ten, and then let that mingle for a very long period of time. And then over over the months, we would taste it, test it, maybe add a couple more of these barrels or less of uh, well, not less. We'd add more of one type of barrel or not. And then when we got to the to close to blending day, we had some older bourbon that we had vatted and that we had we had let sit and were you know really liked the way it mingled. And then we put them together and we in different combinations. Um, and then, as you know, as it always goes with us, then uh, we will always maybe throw in something else that was a component of one of the, the those core things, um, and just to round it out and make it right. So that, that's that's the sort of the net of this one, and it just. Um, I'll say this, Joe. I, I proudly say that I, I I think I've tried almost all of the barrel <laughs> expressions and yeah. and over the years, and, and and this one to me. It really jumped out because it's it reminded me of dessert in a way. That, I mean, there was some donut going on in there and, and pecan pie. And this is the one you want to get, this Batch 34, if you just want to feel like a, it's like a warm blanket, man. It's very comforting. But then you also get a little bit of the green grapes, you know, which I love green grapes. And they got a little bit of the zest in there, the, the citrus zest going on. This is just showing, I guess I would say it this way. This is what you do at your fullest power, man. I just, this one to me, I love all your whiskeys, but this one is a special one. I immediately, so in my house, yeah, as you can imagine in my place, I've got a lot of booze and I've got bars all over the house, but there's the one in the kitchen where I've got the three shelves where that's the stuff that I'm actively grabbing when people come over and this batch 34 went right there. Like for, I'm like, when people are coming over, I'm going to be like, we're going to try this because there's something about this one that just, uh, feels a little bit different and in, in a really good way. And so everybody knows it's, it's 57.3% ABV, which is uh what's that? 114 proof around there. Yeah. 114, six proof. It's a high proof, a bourbon, but you just, you wouldn't know it. You know, like if, if people get scared off by that, don't be, because in this case, it's like, it feels light to me and, and not insub- unsubstantial, but just like, man, I could see myself sipping this on the porch with a little, a little ice, a little branch water in there, put a little branch water in there and just on a, like a spring or early summer day, just sipping that. And that's, I don't know, man. It, it's this one's a special one. I think you really. I'm glad you love it. I'm glad it. you like that. You know, it's fun. it's funny also because you picked up on a couple of things like the orange and the the warm cinnamon donut. You know, it's it's like the one of the first things I thought about with this is you know every farmer's market you go to, what's the where is the biggest line? You know, it's at the cinnamon donut line. Yeah, you know? and there's a reason because everybody loves that flavor. But and that just sort of jumps right through on this one to me. We you know what I got too, Joe, which I don't. I so rarely ever get in a whiskey was maybe, maybe just something weird was going on with my palate, but on the finish, I got a little bit of Reese's peanut butter cup. And I'm like, I don't remember ever getting that on a whiskey. There's just the chocolate and then a little bit of peanut. It just came through and I wrote it down. I was like, I don't I've never had that on a finish. Right, I can, I can I can taste that in the back. Yeah, the chocolate is definitely there, and the peanut. If yeah, if you if you now if you suggest it too now when you taste it after the chocolate, you can definitely get peanut there. Right. Where, so where does that is that coming from the wood? Where does that? How do you conjure that flavor? 
<laughs> you don't know. <laughs> hey, you throw shit at the wall and sometimes it sticks, right? There you go. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be that glib. No, we really do. I mean, we really do carefully look for these, that nuance of flavor and put it in there. I just didn't pick up the peanut until just now, but, but that, that was not one of the driving flavors that we, that we were looking for, but we're, we're blenders by intent. So it is, you know, we, we, you know, it's blank right now, but there's our whiteboard. We whiteboard all of these things out and we ta- and we target what we want to have happen, what we want to taste like, we want to be what profile, how we want to feel in the palate. You know, because there's the mouthfeel is totally different on all these products, also. I mean, if you want a really contrast advantage versus this batch, the mouthfeel is a hundred percent difference. So we really look for all those things. And we do, we do actually design into that. So as I was mentioning, you know, once we even though that we talk about, you know, the the barrels are mingled and then we add at the end, we sort of layered in some, we do actually go back and and think about it and grab some more of something that might contribute this one little thing. And we put it and we put the barrel, we, we test it in the lab first. And then if it passed the test, we do it. And we're talking about, we're talking about blending at, at a, pr- a level of precision that is ga- a few gallons ma- or less, a couple pounds within, you know, a five or 8,000 gallon blend. And that, that's how, that's how subtle this is. Well, I'll say this as, again, as somebody who has been a, devoted consumer of barrel craft spirits over the years the barrel bourbon batch 34 which is out now it's 85 bucks a bottle uh blend of 6 8 10 15 you heard you heard joe say it uh earlier aged in uh, in uh american white oak barrels obviously bourbon um is just a special whiskey it really is and anybody out right. there that's if you haven't tried barrel this is a great place to start. And if you are a Barrel Craft Spirits fan, you got to have this one in your collection. You just really do. And and Joe, I know you got to run. I appreciate your insight, my friend. It's always great to have you on. Already looking forward to the to the next visit with you and to celebrating a lot of these booze holidays. Wait, wait, I, I, need, I have a question. Tell me the data again on the live chicken drinking contest. <laughs> Let me see. What that, uh, that one is wait. I got it. I got it here. It's it's coming up. Uh, National Drinking with Chickens Day. First of all, Joe is May twenty eighth, and according to this, all right, National Drinking with Chickens Day occurs annual May twenty May twenty third. Excuse me. Founded by Kate oh. Richards, author of the book Drinking with Chickens. Free range cocktails for the happiest hour. Her specialty is creating Instagram famous cocktails with ingredients found in her garden. Well, this isn't as fun. Well, I want to. Oh, so maybe she means the chickens are out in her out in her garden. No, no, I I want it. No, that's that's. I'm with you. Old. I want to actually drink. I want to hunker down to the bar with a chicken. Which I'm going to leave you with this, Joe. I'm going to leave you with a joke. A uh, a man walks into a bar. He's got a chicken on his head. And the bartender looks at him and says, what the hell's going on with that? And the chicken says, well, it started out as a wart on my ass and kept growing. (laughs) (laughs) And there we have it. Uh, (laughs) Well, Joe, always great to see you, my friend. Batch 34, barrel bourbon out of barrel craft spirits. Go get it. You'll love it. And uh, I will talk to you soon, my friend. Talk to you soon. So I just did a little research here on a website called Backyard Chicken Coops, which 
I believe is the leading authority on, you guessed it, backyard chicken coops. Cassandra Smith wrote this article back in July 2020. She's the senior editor. She writes, just how much water does a chicken drink? Really doesn't seem like much at all as they sip a little here, sip a little there, and go on about their business or their flock mate's business. Typically, though, a mature chicken will drink approximately a half liter of water each day in temperate weather, even as much as a full liter in warmer weather. Now, if you have meat birds, they'll visit the chicken water much more often than this because they're growing faster. Free-range chickens may drink more or less depending on how busy they are exploring and foraging and how much water is in the plants and grass they eat. FYI, a chicken who's feeling a bit under the weather may drink continually or drink nothing. This may mean refilling your chicken water twice a day or more. Nowhere in the article does she talk about consuming alcohol with chickens and whether or not they're allowed. And there's no information. Can they come to the bars? I don't know. But if you're wondering how much water chickens drink, well, then there you have it, my friends. That's going to do it for this episode of What We're Drinking. I want to thank Joe Beatrice for being on the show. And of course, I want to thank you, my friends, my listeners. I invite you to follow me at The Imbiber on Twitter and Instagram. The podcast's Instagram is at WWD underscore podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode of the show. Until then, I will leave you with one of the greatest booze-related scenes from one of the funniest movies of all time. I'm talking about, of course, Team America, World Police. I'm completely lost. I've hit rock bottom. Easy, easy. Whoa, you gotta calm down there, Chuck. I hurt people. I'm a dick. Well, being a dickhead so bad. See, there's three kinds of people. Dicks, pussies, and assholes. Pussies think everyone can get along and dicks just want to fuck all the time without thinking it through. But then you got your assholes, Chuck. And all the assholes want us to shit all over everything. So pussies may get mad at dicks once in a while because pussies get fucked by dicks. But dicks also fuck assholes, Chuck. And if they didn't fuck the assholes, you know what you'd get? You'd get your dick and your pussy all covered in shit. All right, that does it. Get out of here, you drunk lowlife. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.